0: We've all heard the story written by Charles Dickens with Ebenezer Scrooge and when they came to celebrate Christmas his famous words Bah humbug and he missed Christmas. There's a story of a man who missed an incredible opportunity. His name was Arthur and his friend was named Walter and Walter took Arthur on a long drive years ago to the countryside to show him a huge portion of land that he was going to buy. He had a vision. He had a dream. And They drove out of the city, drove off the main road to a large, expansive land with trees, cows, horses, and run-down shacks. Stopped the car, and Walter said, Arthur, get out of the car. I want to show you something. This is the land I'm going to buy, and it's going to be great. And I would recommend that you buy all the land surrounding it, because I only have enough money to buy this. But when this dream is finally realized... The land around my project will have so many hotels, so many restaurants, so many meeting halls to contain the people that are going to come out to see my thing that you're going to make hundreds of money of times more investment than you put into it. And Walter, as he said this, got Arthur's attention. And Arthur thought, who would drive 25 miles out of the city to come out to some crazy idea like this? I'd never do something like that. Uh, He said, maybe later on. Walter said, later on will be too late, Arthur. you got to get in on the ground level now. Believe me, it'll be worth your money. And so Arthur came up with some flaky excuse that he couldn't bring enough money into the project, and so he would just forego the whole thing. And so, as history goes, Art Linkletter missed the opportunity to buy all of the land that now surrounds Disneyland that Walt Disney had envisioned. He missed a golden opportunity because he thought somebody was crazy. You know, Christmas is a little bit like that. It goes by every year and the vast majority of people miss the opportunity, the true meaning of Christmas. That is, for one reason, is that we are brought up in this country and we are taught all the way through life to miss Christmas. We are taught that it's a time of self indulgence. We see it as an excuse to either make more profit, to get more presents, to eat more food, or whatever. But by and large in this country, the true meaning is being lost. We don't call it Christmas anymore. Notice some of the commercials Xmas, the cards. Merry Xmas. Merry Xmas. Or tide greetings. Yule is a Babylonian term meaning log. Yule tide greetings. But the Christ of Christmas is left out. People are passing it by. I was reading this week USA Today. And they had little excerpts of people around the country. And they asked, what is your most memorable holiday experience? None of, the, none of them had anything at all to say about the true meaning of Christmas. They even sported one article with a picture of a guy in Little Rock, Arkansas who decided to hang out Christmas lights, and he put up 1,173,180 lights. I'm sure it was beautiful if you could sleep with that kind of lighting in the neighborhood. But he missed the meaning of Christmas altogether. Now, not everyone does. There are those who are right on. They know what it means, and they celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. That's really what it's about. Now, granted... We don't know when Jesus was born. And you know what? I don't really care when Jesus was born. Most historians and scholars know that whenever Jesus was born, it wasn't in the middle of December or at the end of December or in wintertime. Because of the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth and the way shepherds watched sheep at night, they weren't out on the hillside in the wintertime in Judea. But who cares when Jesus was born? He was born. He came, and He was born as a little baby for one purpose. His little hands were for one purpose, to accommodate Roman spikes, to die on a cross for our sins. And we need to remember that every time we celebrate Christmas, and it's good to get together and to refocus our attention upon the Christ of Christmas. I heard about a family every year, they kept that memory and that vision of Christmas in their home. They saw it as a birthday party for Jesus. When they had their feast... They would leave the chair of honor at the head of the table empty for Jesus to be there with them. They made a birthday cake that said, Happy Birthday, Jesus, on it. Lit candles, and they sung Jesus' Happy Birthday at the end. Every Christmas they did this. And one year a visitor came and asked one of the little daughters, Ruth, Well, Ruthie, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas this year? And she had a beautiful response. She said, No, but then it's not my birthday. She knew the meaning of Christmas. She was taught well from an early age. When people miss Christmas, when people pass over the real meaning, they do it to their own detriment. Harsh results are in store for those who miss the true meaning of Christmas. And what I mean by that is Christmas time is the loneliest time of the year for many people in America. The greatest depression rate is during Christmas. It's a time of emptiness for many people. In fact, the director of mental hygiene in California said, the Christmas season is marked by greater emotional stress and more acts of violence than any other time of the year. And when you hear all that, you might think, well, we have fallen a long way away from the first Christmas. But actually, the first Christmas was not much different. While there were those who knew what it was all about, they were but a few The vast majority of people skipped it by, passed it by, missed Christmas. In fact, uh, they probably would have agreed with Ebenezer, bah, humbug. And so we want to look at uh, three different cameos this morning of those who passed over Christmas. Uh, First of all, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, we get insight into a businessman who was too busy for Christmas. We read about it in verse 1. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. This is the big cheese in Rome. That all the world should be registered. Some of your translations say taxed, but it is registered. A census was to be taken. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed wife who was with child and so it was while they were there that the days were completed for her to be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes or cloths as it says here and laid him in a manger a feeding stall for animals because there was no room for them in the inn. The reference here is an innkeeper, though he's not mentioned in the Scripture. There was somebody who opened the door to that inn and said, I'm sorry, I know you're pregnant. Listen, I know, I know, I know, but I've got an inn to run and I'm full. See you later. Now that was an unusual call because the Jews almost demanded Hospitality. They place such a high emphasis on the virtue of being a hospitable host that even if you couldn't accommodate a person, it was rare to turn a person completely away who was pregnant. At least he could have offered help, maybe a midwife to come and assist Mary in that stable. But he didn't. It says in verse 7 that it was a lonely birth. There wasn't a midwife, there wasn't a physician, there weren't nurses around. There even wasn't a Lamaze class with a husband around. It seems that Mary did it all alone. For we read, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn. It's interesting that nothing is mentioned of Joseph. Now, I'm sure he was around, but if I know Jewish custom, like I think I do, he wasn't really around. Uh, That was woman's work. And you get a midwife, or you do it alone, but he probably wasn't all that much use anyway. If you know anything about first-time fathers, he probably wasn't much help. Now, folks, I have taken Lamaze classes with my wife. Um, I don't want to burst your bubble, but my opinion is that they're worthless. Uh, when it gets down to transition, and that woman is experiencing the greatest pain probably known to mankind, you can go, blow, blow, blow. And it just won't cut it. I know. I was in there trying to be Mr. Husband, lovey-dovey, get this thing going, I'm here to support you, but I'm not on the table. And when it came to blow, during transition time, Lenya hit me when I said blow. And then the doctor came in. The doctor said just a few more minutes, and I remember Lenya, she said, listen, you try getting on this table and having a baby. It's not easy. She probably, Mary probably did it all alone that night in Bethlehem. Why was it she was turned away? Why was there no room in the inn? thus this attitude of I'm too busy? Because the census was being taken. We read about that in the first few verses. All of the world had to go to their city of origin. And the city was packed with every living descendant of King David in the Jewish nation. So it was packed, hustle bustle in that little town of Bethlehem. That evening, And so Mary and Joseph come to the inn. The innkeeper wasn't angry. He wasn't hostile. He didn't have a grudge against this couple. He was simply preoccupied. He was too busy. He had other things to do. He had an inn to run. And he just couldn't accommodate them. What is amazing is that the Son of God could have been born on his property. Had he had slowed down and not been so busy and maybe just heard their story a little bit, But he didn't have enough time to even pour out the milk of human kindness on a couple who could really use it. And folks, one of the reasons our country, and by and large this world, is such a lonely place is that we're just too busy to be involved. In an excellent book written recently by George Barna of the Barna Researching Group, he does an excellent job of capsulizing America when he says, We are overwhelmed by information. Rocked by innumerable opportunities and a limited number of hours, and struggling to remain abreast of the sweeping changes that are impacting lifestyles and relationships. Millions of people are busy, not necessarily with sinful things, wrong things, just they're busy. They've got their little world to run. That's understandable. But this innkeeper came so close to having Jesus born on his property. But there was no room. He was just too busy. And especially this happens at Christmas, doesn't it? Christmas has that ability to pull at us. There's parties to attend. There's functions. There's presents. There's plays. There's shopping malls. And it's easy to be an innkeeper, to just get so busy with the season. But we miss the Jesus of the season. Have you noticed the faces in the malls? of people who are shopping? Do they seem to be exuding with joy and abundant life? And oh, the season of Christmas is so grand. No, they've got this kind of gritted, determined look like you touch that present that's on sale before me and you're a dead man. I want to get in and I want to get out. And, And look at the exhaustion even among some of our faces the Sunday before Christmas. It's like, I made it. It has a tendency just to get so busy. Question, are you too busy for God during this season? If so, you're too busy, period. Isn't it amazing that we can schedule with daytimers and computers and secretaries our world and our schedules, but we never schedule in our spiritual time? We let that sort of just fall into place wherever it makes it. We need to redefine what success is because though this is a time of making profit for some, Jesus said what does it profit you if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? There are certain things that you just can't be too busy about. There was a young man graduating from high school had his sights set on college. He knew what he wanted in life. An elderly Christian said, well son, tell me your plans. Have you planned out your life? Oh yes. What are you going to do? I'm going to go to college. Great, then what? Then I'm gonna to go to graduate school. Well, so you know where you're going, yes. Then what? Then I'll hone my career and I'll get a place in the work world. Then what? I'll probably marry and have children. Then what? I'll raise my children, hopefully have a happy family life, and let them go to college. Then what? Then I'll probably retire and enjoy the latter years on all that I've made. Then what? Well, then I'll probably die. Fine. Then what? He only planned up to the time of his departure from this life. He had his life so scheduled, so busy, but the important thing, then what? Was kept out of his life. Christians can do this too. I'm not just speaking to unbelievers, but Christians can crowd Jesus out of Christmas as well. It happens a lot. We cannot blame Caesar Augustus in Rome for overlooking the birth of Jesus, though some do. You can't blame him. He's so far away. He wouldn't have noticed it. Don't blame the Greek philosophers way over in Athens on the Acropolis for missing the birth of Jesus. They were too far away. But the innkeeper, Jesus, was right under his nose being born out in a stable. And they missed it. And Christians can do it too. I love the writings of A.W. Tozer who wrote, Every age has its own characteristics. Right now we are in an age of religious complexity. The simplicity which is in Christ is rarely found among us. In its stead are programs, methods, and organizations, and a world of nervous activities which occupy time and attention but can never satisfy the longing of the heart. If we would find God amid all of the religious externals, we must first determine to find him and then proceed in the way of simplicity. Remember, it was to busy, busy Martha that Jesus had some of these words to say when Jesus was invited into her home and she wanted to serve Him. So she's out there cooking the meal, scrubbing the stove. And Mary, her sister, is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to every word that's coming from His lips, just enjoying the time alone with Jesus. And Martha got angry. She said, Lord, don't You care? I'm working alone and she's just kicking back. Tell her to help me. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are cumbered about and so busy with so many things, but one thing is needful, and she's chosen the better part, and it won't be taken from her. Don't be so busy this year that amidst all of your activity you don't slow down for Jesus. And so, first of all, this businessman, just too busy for Christmas. Um, We notice here in the first few verses, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a quiet little town about five miles south of Jerusalem. When we sing the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, back then it really was a sleepy little town, very soft-spoken kind of a lifestyle, very easygoing. But a word has come from the word Bethlehem that is the opposite in meaning. It's the word bedlam, Bedlam has its origins in the word Bethlehem. Back in the 1500s, there was a hospital in London, England called St. Mary of Bethlehem. It was a hospital for the sick. It became an insane asylum for the insane. Later on, it became an attraction. When you visit London, you could pay so much money to go in and heckle the inmates. And so, a corruption, a shortened form of the word St. Mary of Bethlehem, because of some of the Cockney accents around that area, it became known as St. Mary's of Bedlam. Bedlam means craziness, hyperactivity, disorganization, and disorientation. Is your life this Christmas a Bethlehem or a Bedlam? Is it so crazy and so busy that there's no Bethlehem around, no little town of simplicity, and it's just Bedlam, get this thing over with? Then you're missing Christmas. But now I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. And let's look at someone else who passed over this Christmas season back then, a politician named Herod. And his problem is that he was too afraid. Matthew, the second chapter, begins Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. We've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, I or bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Uh, yeah, Right. first part of this chapter, a strange group that we've never read about anywhere in the Bible surfaces called Magi, or if you have an old King Jimmy, it says wise men. We see them in nativity sets every year. Uh, we sing, we three kings of Orion are, but who are they? Where'd they come from? Well, they were kings of the east, east of Israel in the land of Medo-Persia. In the ancient times, they were all around Babylon in the courts of Nebuchadnezzar. And probably, if we can piece all of the historical record together correctly, Daniel, who received the vision and the prophecies of the Messiah coming, instructed the people in the court as part of his witness that one day the Jewish Messiah would come as the angel Gabriel told him. And from that point on, they probably looked to the stars for guidance. And when a bright star appeared, they followed it over to Judea, over to Jerusalem, and said, Where is the one who will be king of the Jews? When they came and asked this question, I want you to notice the wording in verse 3. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled. See that word troubled? It means perturbed, agitated, He felt threatened. The idea of the word is panic. And it says, all of Jerusalem with him. Let me tell you why he was so troubled. Herod was not a Jew. And the Jews tolerated Herod. They didn't like him. First of all, because he wasn't a Jew, he was an Idumean. Again, he was east of the land of Israel in the land of modern-day Jordan. He had come into power because his dad did a favor for Rome, and in exchange, Rome gave him the borders of the Roman Empire to govern, the land of the Jews. And so his dad passed it on to him, and Herod became known as the King of the Jews by the Romans. Rome gave him an army, and they conferred the title King of the Jews to him. Well now, these wise guys, in his opinion... These Magi from the east came, no doubt with great pomp, not on camels like your nativity set would show you, but probably Arabian horses with a great entourage of people, and said, We know that a king is born among you, the king of the Jews. That caught his ears. What do you mean, king of the Jews? And so he inquired, Where is this king going to be born? And they told him, Bethlehem. Herod, as we know from history, was heartless. He was a despot. He ruled with an iron fist. He put to death all of the descendants of the Maccabees, the Hasmoneans, who revolted years before against Antiochus Epiphanes. He wanted to make sure that no one would revolt against him, that the Jews were under a tight reign by his own power. History tells us he had ten wives, twelve children. He killed one of his wives... His brother-in-law and two of his sons, because he was afraid they might take over his throne. In fact, the saying went around, it is safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. And it was, because if he thought you might take over his throne, he felt threatened, he felt scared, and he'd put you to death. And so, these wise men come with a prediction after seeing a star that the King of the Jews is to be born. Herod wants to find out where, tries to play ignorant. Oh, tell me where. I want to worship him too. And then we read in verse 16 of the same chapter, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all of the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all of its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. And it was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, a voice was heard in Rama, a lamentation weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. Refused to be comforted because they were no more. This guy was like the sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood. Anybody that smacks of control other than himself, he wanted to put out of the picture. He was afraid that the Jews who tolerated him would gravitate toward a new Messiah. And he wanted no part of it. There are, in our modern world, Herods or Herod types. Those that have an agenda and won't let anyone interfere with it. They've got their lifestyle, their business, their career, their power, their little ambition. And Jesus Christ to them is a threat. They see Jesus Christ as a threat. No one's going to be king of their lives. I don't want to get mixed up into some religious fanaticism that would make someone other than me control me. Give my life to Jesus? Listen, I'm a self-made man. Don't you interfere, God, with my lifestyle. There are millions of people who don't mind celebrating Jesus' birth. They'll even pray to Jesus when they're in trouble. They'll put up a nativity set in their home, call themselves Christians. And you know, religion is on the rise, the researchers tell us. It's becoming popular. But, to them, it's like, well... I want to add Jesus to my life because I see the need for some spiritual thing. I need God. And uh, I'll go to church. And by the way, I've got kids now, so they need to be exposed to morals. I'll take them to Sunday school, and we'll do the church thing. But as long as God stays put, fine. If He interferes with my life and demands to control me and be Lord, no way. I spoke to a woman a few weeks ago who told me about her life. And she said, I, I've gotten my life together finally. I've got my family together. My child is where I want him. And I've got my house. And I've got my church. And I suppose I'll go to that church as long as the person who stands up there and speaks agrees with what I believe in. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of you people who are either coerced or just show up from week to week here think the same thing. Oh, yeah, God and religion, church, it's nice to do it, especially now at Christmas, but I'm not going to let Jesus into my life and control and reign my life. I won't let Him rule over me. I want Him just where I need Him, no closer. Self-interest will ruin you, as you know. Relationships get broken apart because of selfishness, self-interest. I want it my way. I want to do it my way happiness, joy, fulfillment in life is ruined by self-interest. I have a book that I've told you about before. I want to quote from it again. It's written by secular authors, not Christians. After research, they, looking over America, wrote a book called The Day America Told the Truth. And they concluded, Americans are making up their own rules. In effect, we're making our own moral codes. We choose which laws of God we believe in. We have made ourselves the authority over church and God. And just like Herod, they miss Christmas. Well, there's another group I want you to look at in the same chapter. These are religious folks. And uh, if the businessman, the innkeeper, missed Christmas because he was too busy, and if Herod the politician missed Christmas because he was too afraid, these religious people missed Christmas because they were too indifferent, too apathetic. Notice with me, verse 3 of the same chapter. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And notice they didn't miss a beat. They didn't say, oh no. They knew. And they quoted it. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, it's written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem and the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew about the Jewish Messiah. They knew the expectation of the Jewish Messiah. They knew where the Scriptures were and they could quote them verbatim without even looking. They knew that at the time that they were living in, all of the Jews were dying under the oppression of the Roman government and they were longing with a national expectation for a deliverer. Ever since Moses issued the first prediction of the Messiah which reads in Deuteronomy the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers you must listen to him these religious elite these theologians the caretakers of spiritual truth knew that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem but they were too lazy too apathetic too indifferent to go five miles south and check it out is this our expectation? Is this the one? If so, man, we've got to change. We've got to follow Him. But they were too apathetic, too indifferent. They didn't care. It just passed them by. There's a scripture in the book of Amos in the Old Testament where it says, Woe unto those who are at ease in Zion. God's own people, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, Went to the temple, did the religious deal, kept all the feasts, but they were just kicking back. It didn't really mean anything to them. They just went through the motions. They were at ease in Zion. No vital relationship with God. It's just apathetic traditionalism. If it's true that absence makes the heart grow fonder, there must be an awful lot of so-called Christians who are fond of God because they're so distant from Him. They don't spend much time hanging out with them. They know the right answers. They could even quote the right scriptures if you ask them the question, but there's no sense of immediacy and joy in their life. The presence of God they don't know. They're missing Christmas. Like Hudson Taylor used to say, excuse me, E. Stanley Jones said, there are those who are inoculated with a mild form of Christianity that renders them immune from the real thing. And there are many like that today. Folks, don't let your spiritual life become routine. Make sure that you seek God with all of your heart and that you are ready when you read the Scriptures to let that change your life, unlike these religious people. Now, I know that the opposite of that is blind fanaticism, and that can be dangerous. But it's been said that cooling down a fanatic is easier than warming up a corpse. That's true. Jesus said, Many are called, few are chosen. I've heard it put this way. Many are called, but most are frozen. And spiritual truth can even do that to a person. Have you been missing Christmas all these years? Oh, you get a tree and presents and lights, and hey, that's neat. It's fun to do all that. But have you missed the real meaning? The first time Jesus came... He came as a baby. We celebrate that and we call it Christmas. But He's going to come again one day. And make sure you don't miss the meaning of Christmas because when He comes, you could be caught shamed at His second coming. Because the first time that Jesus came, a star marked His arrival. The second time He comes, the heavens will roll up like a scroll and the stars will fall. The first time Jesus came, a few shepherds and magi brought him gifts. The second time he comes, he'll bring his own gifts and rewards for those that followed him. The first time he came, there was no room in the inn. The second time he comes, the whole world won't contain his glory, won't be able to. The first time he came as a little baby, the second time he'll come as sovereign king and judge. A businessman was too busy. A politician was too afraid. The religious people, too indifferent. And they all missed the boat. But there were a few that didn't miss Christmas. There were a few who were aware and who were waiting and who knew what was happening. The shepherds, first of all. The lowest of the low of society were out hanging out with their sheep. The angel spoke to them. There were the Magi. They weren't even Jews. They were from another land. They didn't miss it. They were watching. Then there was Simeon and Anna and Zacharias in the temple who were waiting for the expectation and the consolation of Israel, and it was revealed to them. Why is it that they didn't miss it and everyone else did? Because, number one, they were humble enough and had the guts enough to admit their need and receive that Savior. And that's what it takes. It takes the guts to say, I need a Savior. I am a sinner. And I want the life that Jesus promised. I want to celebrate Christmas with the intended purpose. I would like to close with a parody written about Luke's gospel, the narrative when the angel spoke to the shepherds. But it has a different twist to it. I think you'll get where it's coming from. And there were in the same country children keeping watch over their stockings by the fireplace. And lo, Santa Claus came upon them and they were sore afraid. And Santa said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people who can afford them. For unto you will be given great feasts of turkey, dressing, and cake, many presents. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the presents wrapped in bright paper, lying beneath a tree adorned with tinsel, colored balls, and lights. And suddenly... There will be with you a multitude of relatives and friends praising you and saying, Thank you so much. It's just what I wanted. (laughs) And it shall come to pass, as the friends and relatives have gone away into their own homes, the parents shall say to one another, Darn it, what a mess to clean up. I'm tired. Let's go to bed and pick it up tomorrow. Thank goodness Christmas only comes once a year. And they will go with haste to their cold bed and find their desired rest. Now, it's one thing to miss a Disneyland opportunity like Art Linkletter, but it's another thing to miss for all eternity. The Jesus Christ of Christmas. God's greatest gift to the world. From our perspective, a child was born. But Isaiah said, from God's perspective, a son was given. And God so loved the world, you know the rest of the Scripture, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would come to Him, would receive Him, would not perish but have everlasting life. It would be a folly for this Christmas, with all the presents you may or may not get, to miss God's most important present to you on the birth of His Son, and that is the Son Himself, to be your Lord and Savior. This auditorium is packed with different kinds of people, Some who intensely love the Lord and wait for the Lord and celebrate His birthday. Others of us who have become indifferent and busy, apathetic, or we just don't want God's control. Maybe God has spoke to your heart today. And it's time for you to relinquish all of the wrapping that's around your little package and let Jesus have you and receive Him as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the gift of Jesus. We're not here to celebrate a time of year because of tradition. We don't see it as an excuse to get off work or out of school or anything else. We see it as another means to worship you. Father, I want to pray for every one of us that in all the hustle and bustle, lights, candy, that we will not miss the sweetness of your son. And Father, I pray that we would not be indifferent to Jesus. I pray for those who have been inoculated with a mild form of Christianity. They feel immune and are from the real thing. Save them, Lord, this morning. I pray that as your spirit would just speak to their heart that they'll turn their life to you. Pray for those who have been inoculated with a mild form of Christianity. They feel immune and are from the real thing. Save them, Lord, this morning. I pray that as your spirit would just speak to their heart that they'll turn their life to you.